Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Guys, are you ready to receive the word of God today? Man, I haven't preached to you guys for a month, so I'm going to explode on y'all, okay? I'm going to explode on y'all. So uh, I want everyone to turn to Psalm 23, very popular uh, scripture. Uh, I'm actually do part three, but I'm going to take about good five minutes to do a recap of part one and two because I haven't preached um, uh, with you or to you uh, in over a month. But let me tell you, I am bubbling with this because... Why are series important? Because series uh, help us to learn and grasp uh, better. Because uh, if they're just one hit, one hit sermons all the time, sometimes it's hard to grasp. But when you do a series, uh, it's very easy to grasp. The second reason I'm doing this series is because the Holy Spirit st- spoke me to do it, even while I was away. Because everybody say because it's important that we know the nature that He is a great leader and a good shepherd. Because of some things that he will require of us in the future or the things that he will cause or allow in the future. So we have to know his nature. And especially the next series that I'm working on, uh, it's going to really bring um, a good a good sobriety to your walk with God and a good fear of the Lord. So it's important that I talk about the good shepherd. Because even when we don't feel like he's good... He is a perfect leader, and all his leadership ways where he leads us is always good. You, it may not feel good, but it's always good. But the Lord is coming to the church, and he's inspecting the church in this hour. The church worldwide was happening to uh, ministers and big ministries are only, are only an example that none of us are exempt. Everything that's done in darkness shall be revealed in the light. But this is why I'm giving you the good shepherd first, because what's coming next may sting. Not today, but what's coming later, it may sting. But always remember, even the sting is good. And I'm even going to share that with you today. Do you know that the sting of the devil is bad, but the sting of the Lord is always good? Because if he stings you, that means he loves you. You didn't even hear that. You're like, how is that possible? Well, I'm going to share that with you in this sermon today. That one of the reasons God is good is that he leads us into places in our walk with God that the journey to get there is tough. And in that, that reveals his goodness. You're like, what? Just pay attention then. So I'm going to give you, a, a before we read uh, chapter 4, by the way, I'm kind of proud of myself because the Holy Spirit is all the Holy Spirit. But I mean, like, this whole sermon today is going to be seven pages worth of notes on one verse. We're going to dive on one verse and it's going to go like, Five different directions because I, the Lord gave me a revelation on this, especially in this series. But when we back up, that we, we started a series about a month ago called Jesus the Good Shepherd. Say, Jesus is a good shepherd. And I started off by talking about in the New Testament, so I kind of went reverse. I went from the New Testament first in John chapter 10, where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Remember that. That's the, one of the few places where he answers the, the mystery of the Old Testament title of the great I am. Remember when Moses was sent out? I said this, but there's a lot of people that don't remember weren't here. He said, who, sh- who will I say sent me to deliver Israel? From Egypt. And God didn't say his name. He said, I am. I am sent me. But now you fast forward to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, okay, who is one with the Father, one with the Spirit, three in one, right? Amen? He comes on the scene, and John 10, this is a review, this is a review, 
And he says, I am the good shepherd. And the reason why he's a good shepherd, because he goes, I'm the good shepherd, and I am, another word for I am, the door. I am the door. So the reason why he's the good shepherd is because the door is symbolic of accessibility, which means you and I in the new covenant have access every second to the one who created all of the universe in the old testament you just couldn't do that you have to sacrifice animals you had could you imagine getting a goat or a bull and dragging that literally i've read some some uh, some historical um, documents that they would have to drag the animal to the temple to offer sacrifices we don't got to do that he's the door we come in and out and find green pastures he said he says that's why he's good the second reason why he's good in John chapter 10, because he warns us that there's a thief coming. And just because you're born again and tongue talking and filled with the spirit does not mean that the thief is not going to come for you and your family. But, but he's a good shepherd because he warns us about the attributes of the thief. What good parent are you if you see a thief coming and they're actually coming to your son's window and you're like, I see that thief over there, but I'm just going to stay quiet. Let him figure it out himself. No, he's going to say, Johnny, come over here now. Get behind me. You know? A good parent will say something when he sees a thief coming. Come on, somebody. And Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd because a hireling, one that don't care about the sheep, Modern day vernacular is the one that just gets paid to be a pastor, but not really a pastor. Get paid to get paid to be in the ministry, but they could care less. They just want a paycheck. See, you have to separate those who are professed Christians or those who are really Christians. And so, so he comes and says, "But the shepherd sees the sheep, and he fights." I'm sorry, and he sees the wolf, and he fights the wolf. Wars, no, yeah, he's not fight the sheep. <laughs> Edit. Okay. The, reason, the third reason why he's good is because the Bible says now in Psalm 23, verse 1. This is review, and I'm going to get to verse 4. Because I want to tell you such an important thing of review. Because we got to drill in your head how, how he is a perfect good shepherd. You know why he's good in Psalm 23? He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall. Okay, and we talked three weeks ago that that phrase is talking about two things he's talking about contentment and peace why i shall not want is good why is that good for you and i because god doesn't give us what we want he gives us what we need thank god that he doesn't give you and i what we want all the time Come on, that was a good place to say amen. When you were teenagers, you said, oh, that person is my wife or that person is my husband. Thank God that, that God didn't answer that prayer. Amen. Now, there's few of you that that actually was the Lord. <laughs> but most of you, I want that or I want this position. Oh, Lord, oh, can you give it to me? Why is it give it to me? No, no, no. He reveals his goodness sometimes by what he, by what he doesn't give you. Listen. I shall not want. That doesn't mean that he had everything. It just means I got everything I need. Church, you better say amen. It doesn't mean I got maybe all these things that other people think that I need. It just says I got everything I need. Come on. I, I don't need all this stuff. I mean, that's good. But if I get it, that's just a bonus. What I really want is contentment and peace. Why? Is he a good shepherd? Because he leads us to green pastures. Everybody say green pastures. 
I'm almost going to start, but this is my introduction. What does green pasture speak of? Food. Contentment, right? But you know what I learned about contentment? That it's not a born behavior. It's a learned behavior. That was a good place to say amen. You know why? Some of you guys think that just because he's a good shepherd, that automatically contentment is going to happen. you got to learn how to be content. Paul the Apostle says, I have learned how to be content. I have learned how to be a base. I have learned to be a bound. And all things I could do, all things through Christ in Jesus, right? So contentment is a learned behavior. Some of, you need to, some of you need to hear that because you think that your lifestyle is so bad. Why don't you be content in the loaves and the fishes that he gives you? Listen, listen, listen. And then he says, he leads me beside still water. Still water is symbolic of peace. How many Christians do you know or even yourself that even though you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you lack peace? But you know what? Again, and I, this is one of my last things to review because I remember as I was studying my notes, some of these key points that I need to tell you. But the goodness of God that reveals himself as a good shepherd is that he makes us lie down. Remember I said that? Sometimes I'm going to jump on myself. In his goodness, he makes us lie down. In other words, he will, he will allow circumstances to happen in our life to slow us down and make us lie down. And I shared the story of a gas truck. Remember that? Some of you guys were here. Some of you guys were not. Who, who their sole purpose of a gas truck is to fill other people's tank. But the story went that that big gas tank that was filling gas stations that provide gas for hundreds of people was with their hazard lights on the side of the road. Why? Because the gas truck ran out of gas. He has to make you slow down. So that you could be refilled. So why? That's why he's good. And then the last thing that I shared. This is very important before I lead to verse 4. All this is just one, one through 3. Okay. Please listen to this. Because this is the last thing in my introduction. That is part of my review. We talked about verse 3. Three weeks ago. It says this. We found out through revelation. That this verse seems to be progressive in nature in other words you can't have this without that he restores my soul and he leads me into paths of righteousness for his name's sake what is that revelation a lot of us well-meaning christians are wanting to live right without being healed in our soul hmm in other words, our frustration is that we're trying to be in paths of righteousness with a broken soul. But what the revelation of how he's a good shepherd is that first he restores our soul so that we can have paths of righteousness. In other words, a restored soul creates paths of righteousness. He says, he restores my soul and he leads me into paths of righteousness. And the little light went on. I'm like, oh my God. We first have to take care of the brokenness in here before we seek to live right and some of you you're trying to stop addictions without being healed from things that have happened to you you're trying to listen listen i've had this message for two weeks so i'm not I, please, please don't oh he's talking about me well if, they, if i'm talking about you that's the holy spirit not me i've had this already for two weeks i've been marinating on it like a good chicken How many of you have been frustrated? Seriously, come on, let's be honest. How many of you have been frustrated deep down inside where you say to yourself, okay, I'm not going to do it again. 
I'm not going to do it again. Tomorrow, I promise we're going to start day one. How many do that? Well, that's a well-meaning thing. Stop trying to live right with a broken heart. Stop trying to live right in your own desire. Get your soul fixed. Get your soul healed. Listen, he heals, he restores my soul. Then he leads me into paths of righteousness. Paths of righteousness are a result of a healed soul. You better, that is so good. That's, that, you should say amen because that's so freeing. That you should say like, praise God. Now I get it. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to figure things out, why I'm continually angry, why I'm continually this, why I'm continually that, without pausing and saying, Lord, I give you permission to go way back into the corridors of my past and touch that brokenness. Because if you don't get healed from your past, your future and your present will be affected. Write that down. And er watch this. Every relationship you have will be broken until you fix what's broken. Allow God to fix it. Say amen. That was my introduction. Now we get to verse 4 where, where Jesus is a good shepherd and we're going di to dive into this. How many are getting something so far? Let's open our Bibles and look at verse 4. And I'm going to read it from the ESV. The entire message today is going to be broken on just these sentences. Are you ready for the Holy Spirit to speak to you? Verse 4 says, oh man. And if you have a pen or a highlighter, I'm going to give you some foreshadow, okay? Even though, everybody say even though. Even though. Say even though. Hi, underline that. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Underline through the valley. I will fear no evil. Underline I will fear no evil. Now watch this. For you are with me. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff comforts me. Now, how many of us, that's one of the, 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 the most famous songs. We, 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 play, we, we read it in funeral services, and that's my grandma's favorite psalm, and, and that's my mom's favorite psalm. People that don't even know the Bible know Psalm 23. <laughs> You know, seriously. But why do I say that? Because sometimes the most simplest things that we've been brought up with are some of the things that we, we excuse because we're, we're looking for something deep. But this is deep right here. I'm going to tell you why God chose the Lord, King, I mean King David, to give us a clue why David called the Lord a good shepherd. Now remember, in the Old Testament, uh, uh, the, calling the Lord a good shepherd was very foreign. Psalms was written in the Old Testament, just a newsflash, okay? Why was it foreign? Because there was like, to us, it's like warriors, there's kings, right? But, but we would attribute God as the Lord, the great almighty, the great I am. Listen, listen, the, the mighty one of Israel. Some of the old school folks remember that song. Mighty one of Israel, love to be heard and the power of his word. The mighty one of Israel. Remember that? He's, he was called all these titles, but shepherd? Shepherd? David is the first one who called God Almighty, the Lord is my shepherd, because he was a shepherd too. And he studied the ways of shepherding, and he attributed those attributes to the Lord. Now, why in verse 4 do I say that it is good? Because he starts off 
the sentence by saying, even though. Come on, say, even though. This is why God is a good shepherd. Because that phrase, even though, is a transitional phrase. By context, even though means that there's going to be a change to something that's currently happening in the present. It means, it's a transitional phrase that means even though this is happening, this is going to be the outcome. Even though I'm going through darkness now, there's going to be light over here in a few days. Even though, I looked up the word even though, it means a temporary state. That's why he could say God is good. Because in the midst of the valley season that he was in, in the midst of the dry valley season he, he was in, he had a perspective of even though. And one of the synonyms, I looked up a synonym. You can look it up right now. A synonym phrase of even though, you know what it was? It's also called in spite of. So I looked at the, the, the um, thesaurus of synonyms of even though. And it was in spite of. So it could actually say, in spite of the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. In spite of actually means, have you ever uh, used the word in spite of in a sentence? What are you saying when you say in spite of? You're saying that the current circumstances that you're talking about is going to change after you use that phrase. Even though he's sick, even though the doctor said he was going to have Down syndrome... Even though the doctors, or in spite of the doctors saying Ethan's going to have Down syndrome, he came out normal. That phrase means an end to a current state. That's why David was able to say he's a good shepherd. He, said, he didn't say, uh, man, I'm going through this valley and everything stinks. He goes, no, even though. Even though, and you know what another phrase for even though is uh, symbolic of? Nevertheless. <laughs> Nevertheless is also a synonym, look it up, of the word or the phrase even though. And I don't know about you, but I remember some really powerful neverthelesses in the Bible. Because nevertheless means that even though I am currently seeing a situation that is fruitless, and has no fruit in my life, has no money in my life, has no flow in my life, has no favor in my life. That phrase nevertheless means, okay, I guess I'll just give it up to you. Every time you use a word, even though, it means you're not stuck in that season forever. Thank God that our valley seasons, though we live mostly in our valley seasons, are not forever. Oh, God. Do you remember in Luke chapter 5 when, when, when Jesus comes on the scene and Peter was fishing? And they, they, he had not been called as a disciple yet. He's just fishing. And by the way, let me pause. They knew what they were doing. They were professional fishermen. They were not like, like me, you know. I, 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 the only fish I've ever caught in my life was a blowfish. I mean, think about it. it had spikes on his head. I'm serious. I was like, oh, I caught one. And it was like, Phew. I'm like, really? All my life, I've never, I've never, and, I, and, I, and then they tell me, they, they, they put a, you know I'm Spanish when I tell them, they put a sachicha on the hook, right? <laughs> I'm like, I guess, so, so I put it on there, and they say, just wait till it, wait till it pulls, pulls, pulls. I'm like, it pulls, I'm like, and there's nothing in there. I don't know how to fish. These guys knew how to fish. And they caught nothing 
all night. Professional fishermen. Professional. They've caught not even, not even one. Not even one. They knew the spots where the fish were. They knew when to pull. Come on, somebody. They weren't Pastor George. They knew. They knew. They caught nothing. Everybody say nothing. It was a season of nothing. Oh, that's a word right there. There was a season of nothing happening. Nothing happening when you did all the right things. When you did what you were trained to do. When you did what was good and, 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 and watch this and got you results just last week. Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, professional fishermen, why don't you launch out for the deep for a little bit? And it doesn't say this in the text, but I could imagine Peter, who didn't really know Jesus but had known of him, saying, who does this guy think he is? Don't you know? Then he actually said, listen, don't you know that we've been toiling all night and caught nothing? But here's the phrase that is going to be releasing to you in this proof that God is a good shepherd. Nevertheless, at your word, I will cast out the net further. And the Bible says that when they did the nevertheless and did not get stuck and get their identity in the fruitless season, and he did not get his, and he did not choose to stay in, in that dreary and depressed state, because people can stay in that depressed state when they have nothing going on in their lives. He said, even though, or nevertheless, I have no fruit right now, and it seems ridiculous to trust you. I'm going to throw out this net. The Bible says there was so much fish that it was overflowing the boat and the boat was about to get filled and drowned. Let me tell you something. That even though is meaning that even though that you are in a dark place right now, it's not going to last forever if you have the perspective. Watch this. That he's a good shepherd and he knows how he's leading you. He's not forgotten about you. Even though I have no money, God is going to be, I'm going to trust the Lord to supply all my needs. Even though my son or my daughter is struggling with affliction, I will choose to trust the promises of the Lord. Even though my job has let me go or the church has hurt me, I will see the hand of the Lord on my life. Morning may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Even though I walk through the shadow of death, there's a temporary state. Somebody ever, somebody better praise God that there's an even though on your horizon. There's an even though on your horizon, and I'm prophesying that to you. You may be in a valley season, but David was never stuck forever in the valley season. He said, even though, nevertheless, in spite of. See, I, I, I love the story of, 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 of you guys because I just heard it and I got so inspired. You could have let that take on an identity and be really depressed. And I'm sure there was a some times where you really got down. But some of you had to have a nevertheless in your spirit. Some of you had to say even though. But I'm telling you, the reason why he's calling God a good shepherd, because he knew the perspective of the valley season was temporary. Praise God. God is going to reveal his goodness in your life in the midst of your valley seasons. Say amen. Say amen. He's a good shepherd. 
I look at this next ver- uh, thing, point, which is my first point. How do you know the valley season? Sometimes it feels dry, right? But the valley season also are symbolic of something very necessary in our lives that all of us must get to grow. The valley of the shadow of death, that phrase, reveals the necessary, if I say necessary, necessary, times of trials in our lives, watch this, for the testing of our faith. You don't get the trials in your mountaintop seasons. You get the trials in your valley seasons. But why is this good? You say, Pastor Jordan, I get, I get the even though. But why is, why is the valley process good? I don't like that process. Me neither. But why is it good? Why does David... Start off with a good shepherd and, and include the valley being also good. Mm. Listen, listen, listen. Because there's a difference between the testing of your faith and the tempting of your faith. The tempting of your faith is the enemy trying to get you away from holiness and trying to get you away, listen, from following the, the Lord, trying to get you away, sift you like Peter, like he tried to do Peter. That's the enemy. And the Bible says he'll never, Jesus will never tempt us. But he will test your faith. And he'll use three main things. Now, please write this. If you're a note taker, please write this down. God in, his, in the valley season, Psalm 23 verse 4, reveals his goodness. I said that right. By allowing you and I to experience three main things to test our faith. Trials, the discipline of God, God's discipline, hello, yes, and pruning. In the valley season, he uses three main things, trials and tribulation to test our faith. He uses his discipline or correction. How many have ever got a bow bow from your uh, mom or dad when you were little? In this generation, they don't even believe in bow bows anymore. But if, if I spoke to my mom like some of this generation spoke to me, I couldn't even complete the sentence. Man, a chancleta would go right on my, like a boomerang. I don't think, I was just going to say, I don't think it's good to, for me to say these things, you know, like. <laughs> but watch this. If, if, when you were a child and, 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 and your mom bent you over and you did something erratic that deserved correction, and they give you a little spanking. Were you like, man, this feels so good, mom. Go, go the other side, too. Hit the other side. Man, this is, it feels so good. Man, I know you're doing it for my good, so hey, glory, keep doing it. No, it is painful. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants God's correction. But I'm going to explain what God's correction is so you know that God's correction is evidence that he loves you. Not condemnation. How does he test your faith? By trials, deceive your faith. By God's discipline, now watch this, by pruning. Everybody say trials. trials. Say God's discipline. God's. And say pruning. Now, why do I say that? Because I'm going to break this down. What are trials? Real quick, look at this slide. Trials have to do with the difficult things that we go through. So, in other words, trials has to do with uh, an injustice. You get fired from your job uh, injustly. Uh, in, in, in an unjust way. Um, you, you, you were slandered upon. Uh, that's a trial, right? 
You've been gossiped about. That's a trial that you're going through. Uh, you just lost uh, uh, some, a, a friend uh, or there's um, all your bills are not being paid and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. Those are trials. I said those are trials. And how you and I respond to trials not only reveal our heart, but reveal how the length of the trial. Hello? It took 40 days to go to the wilderness when, when historians say it would have taken three Days, 40 years, sorry, 40 years to go from Israel to the promised land. When, when people that know geography said it'd take three to ten days to get to the promised land, if they, had, if they had a compass. Why do I say that? The length of the trial is determined how we respond. But it's always to teach us a lesson to grow. And I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, right? I'm getting ahead of myself. It reveals your heart. So trials... Listen, please, please hear me. I don't have time to, to, to dive too deep into it. I'm convinced by studying the Bible for years that trials is the, one of the number one methods that God uses. Please hear me what I say. Not the devil. The devil may, you may feel that you're in a trial from the devil. But if you're in a trial and God is allowing it, it's because he's actually trying to test your faith at that season. To see if you will serve him when you don't feel his presence or you will serve him for who he is. To see if you truly serve God when everything is not in your favor like it used to be for six months in a row. Now all of a sudden, three months in a row, things are not going in your favor. Do you still praise God? Do you, he's testing you. He tested Abraham, so don't tell me that he doesn't test people. He tested Abraham, and it, it wasn't like he whispered to Abraham and said, Hey, just between me and you, I'm going to say to the whole world and even in Scripture that you're going to kill your son. But just between me and you, at the last minute, I'm going to say stop. No. He said, are you serious, God? Are you serious? This is the promised one, Isaac. What are you telling me to kill him? Kill him. No explanation. He was being tested. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. No explanation. He's testing. But, 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 but wait, you, you told me when he was born that he was going to be a promised one. Kill him. Okay. Went up probably with tears in his eyes. Came up, you know the story, he put the knife up. And when he put the knife up, intending to execute what the Lord said, as ridiculous as that was, he heard a voice, stop. He's probably like, thank you, Lord. For now I've seen, watch this, that you have withheld even your only son. Now I know that you fear me. Read it. Not that you love me. Now I know that you fear me. Mm. You can love God. You can love God and the feeling that you get from God and not be obedient to God. But when you fear God, it will be a motivation for obedience. And what happened is trials is one of the main roadmaps for your maturity. And I'm going to give you scripture in just a second. The second thing that, that he uses in the valley. See, I'm not, going, I'm not going off. This is the valley. Why is God good? Because in the valley, he tests our faith. The second way he tests our faith is through God's discipline. Now, what is God's discipline? Put that up there. Just so you know. God's discipline has to do with what we receive from God, a loving God, when our actions are not pleasing to him. Uh, let me ask you, parents, are you a bad parent when you correct your kid? Are you a bad one? No, you're a bad one if you don't correct them. 
Are you a bad parent if you correct your son or your daughter? No. You're a bad parent if you don't correct them. If you don't correct them, you're going to raise up a child that is illegitimate in the sense, not, not biologically, but in the sense not is going to be in the wrong order. And if you don't discipline them for the, because you love them, they're going to be erratic. You know what David said? David said this in another psalm. In another, in another psalm. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. In other words, be, when there was no correction in my life, I did what I want. I did what I want. I'm King David. I do what I want. There was a, oh, now I'm going back. I'm going back. I'm going back. Lord, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Okay, 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 okay. Fine. Before I was afflicted, I did what I want. But when I was corrected, I got straight. But it's proof that God loves you. But it, watch this. Testing doesn't feel good. Say amen. God's discipline for you when you are erratic in his love doesn't feel good. What's the third thing he uses to test our faith in the valley? Pruning. Now, pruning really doesn't feel good. But I'm going to say something that I never said before. It's not you that does the pruning. It's God that does the pruning. But I'm going to shock you. I'm going to shock you. Pruning is the cutting away. What is pruning? Involves the stripping away. Or cutting away of things or people attached to our lives, watch this, that he no longer deems fitting for our growth. I'm going to run around the church. Sergio, I'm going to run, bro. No, 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 I said that right. I said that right. That he no longer deems fitting for your growth. Why growth? Because you will see in just a few moments that the reason people were there were actually for your growth. But he's actually wanting more growth. So he causes a stripping away or a cutting away of some things that in your life that actually used to be useful. But it hurts. Some friends are in our lives that used to be useful. And not because he's judging them and not because they're unspiritual. It's because you just have to go into that place where he wants you to go to. And sometimes, listen, you will not have the same relationship you had when you were in high school. Sometimes you're going to have to go grow up. And I have to realize that as we go from glory to glory, some relationships will change. But it's not necessarily bad. It's a pruning. But it doesn't feel good. Trials don't feel good. God's discipline doesn't feel good. And, and, and the pruning doesn't feel good. Now, now, why do I say this? Because, put this next slide up. This is important for you. Are you ready? Because God, David said he's good in the valley. Everybody says God is good. He's a good shepherd in my valley. Because in the valley, he tests our faith. But what's the whole reason I even said this? Here's the answer. One of the main goals for trials, God's discipline and pruning is to produce fruits of godliness and maturity in us. Do you see now, church, why David said he's good in the valley? Not because it feels good, because it produces good. That's a good word. Not because it feels good, but because in his love, there's necessary things that he has to teach us in order for us to get strong. I said it before and I say it again. You there's certain things that you just can't pray for. You have to go through it. I, I, I wish I could pray for a six-pack in my stomach and, and tomorrow I'll be like, oh, look at that. I, how do you do it? One day I fasted and prayed and the next day I got a six-pack and I lost 50 pounds. You got to start eating right. 
That doesn't feel good. See the correlation? You got to work out. Doesn't feel good. But the end result is that you're going to be stronger to endure what you couldn't handle before. Jaden, I'm going to put that song on real quick, man. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just joking. He's like, don't do it. Concerning trials, let's, let's do scriptures for each one, okay? Supporting scriptures of why trials, God's discipline, and pruning don't feel good, but they produce fruits of maturity. Here's my question for you. How many could agree that the trials, God's discipline for a season in your life, because of some of our behavior, let's, I'm just, you know, and pruning, how many agree that that hurts? How many agree that hurts? Okay. Now, how many agree... That the, if we endure that, it will produce fruits of maturity in us. Then isn't God good then? He's a good shepherd because even when we're saying, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? God's like, because I want you to be stronger than you are today. Because what's coming over here requires a greater level of commitment and dedication. So you have to make sure, I have to make sure in my love that, that, that what you used to trip up over here, when you get here and I give you now a church, and I give you an assignment, and I give you people to oversee that your erraticness in this season is not going to hurt people in this season. That deserves a greater hand clap than that. That's why he puts you through the fire. Not because he hates you, because he says, oh, there's a diamond in the rough. That if you just endure this process, I will trust you with my anointing. I will trust you. But again, we have to live above reproach. So concerning trials, everybody say trials. Here's a supporting scripture, Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Ooh, this is so good. Are you guys getting some? Well, I'm getting fed off of my own preaching. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Ready? Let's turn there. It's on the screen in the NLT. I know we're going a little longer today, but just, just wait with me, okay? We can rejoice too when we run into problems and what? Come on, I can't hear you. And what? For we know that they help us develop endurance. What helps you develop endurance? Trials. Stop rebuking trials. Stop rebuking things that God is putting you into. Can you imagine when the Holy Spirit led, the Bible says the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Many of us, if when we are being led to the wilderness, we're rebuking the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Can you imagine Jesus going, I don't like this Holy Spirit. I rebuke you, devil. The Holy Spirit is like, you know better, Jesus. Come on. you know, Me and you, we won. Come on. You know you have to do this. Stop rebuking what God is calling you into. Mm. Listen, listen. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. And endurance... What, what, what? I can't hear you. Let's, let, wait, let's say that together. One, two, three. And endurance develops strength. Do you know that strength of character is needed for you to be in leadership? There's a lot of leaders that are anointed, but they don't have good character. They're anointed. I'm, I'm talking about they are anointed, but they have weak character. And you can't say, well, I have a good anointing, so I can't worry about my character. You bet worry about your character. I have to take it a step further. You better worry about how you treat people. You better worry about how, because we're all part of God's bride. So as a leader, we have more responsibility 
to walk in humility and in humbleness and not to showcase our leadership. Endurance helps develop strength of character. And character, let's keep reading, strengthens our confidence, hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he gave us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So that's trials. Now, let's look at the product of godly discipline in our life. This is the whole example of the pow pow, right? And, 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 and us thinking that it's going to, listen, stop thinking that God is a mean God. When you are going through trials or when you are going through necessary discipline. Look at what Hebrews chapter 12 says. Oh, this is good stuff. Verse 7 in the NLT. Are you ready with me? It's going to be on the screens. This is concerning God's discipline in the valley season. As you endure, I read something here that I'm like, man, I never saw it like this in the NLT. As you endure divine discipline. Everybody say divine discipline. That God, remember, everybody say remember. Some of you need to know this because you're like doubting God right now. Remember God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child, thank you, Lord, in this woke generation that we're putting this here right now. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by his father? That's what this society is looking like right now. Oh, you can't say anything. You can't say anything. You got you to let a three-year-old decide the gender. No, you don't. You don't. I'm a bold preacher of the gospel, and I don't care if you don't like this part. Three-year-old baby does not have any opportunity to determine what sex they are. Who ever heard of a child who's not disciplined by his father? If that was in my house, no, you ain't. You're a boy, and you're always going to be a boy. But I feel like a girl. And I'm not try- Please, I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm not. But the zeal of the Lord has to rise up every now and then. Christians have become so passive. Don't, don't offend them. Don't offend them. No, no, we want them in our church. Yeah, I want you in our church. But come the way you are, but don't stay the way you are. Whoever heard of a child who's never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you, I'm reading, look, I'm reading with me. As he does all his children, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, let's read it together. It means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. That's not Pastor George speaking. That's the NLT of Hebrews 12. If you don't get disciplined or corrected by the Lord, that means you're not his child. Hello? Since we respected our earthly fathers, watch this, who disciplined us, keep reading, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew. Now, this is the part that stood out to me. I read this a million times. Look at this part. Let's read it very slow. Now, what's the, what's the title of my message? Jesus the what? The what? Read this next sentence. One, two, three. But God's discipline is always good (laughs) not sometimes good for us not 90 percent of the time good for us not when it the discipline feels less than the other discipline it's good oh i could endure it this time okay it was it was just a brief moment it's what's the whole purpose is to say hey son daughter hey, hey hey you're going astray and i love you too much to let you go astray so i'm gonna i'm gonna 
I allow some things so you could cry back out to me. Look at me. Zoom in on me. Do you know? Do you know that this is weird? Do you know that God called Nebuchadnezzar my servant? Nebuchadnezzar. Crazy, demonic, brutal, evil Nebuchadnezzar. Who took the children of Israel captive for 70 years. God says, my servant. He's evil, but I'm using him as a servant to get erratic Israel to see how evil and how bad they have it without me. So I'm going to allow your desires to happen. And King Nebuchadnezzar is going to be my servant to get you back to me. Trials do that. God's discipline does that. And I know that sounds weird I'm about to say, but he will allow you to be miserable when you're trying to backslide from him. Oh, you could have the parties and you could have the external joy. But when you wake up the next morning, sir, you will still have that depression. You will still have that anxiety. You will still have that darkness. Let me tell you something. And it's God's discipline that dries you up. So you can say, I need to come back to still waters. I need to come back to living waters. Now concerning pruning. Everybody say pruning. What's the supporting scripture for that? The famous one. John chapter 15. Look what it says. It's because some of you, you're getting pruned right now. But here's the good news. If you're getting pruned, are you ready for this? That means you're doing something good. <laughs> what? What? If you're getting pruned and it hurts... That means you're doing something good. Pastor George, I don't agree with that because pruning doesn't feel good. Those people left me and that person is no longer with me and this person is here, blah, 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 whatever, whatever that is. It's a stripping away. It hurts. But why is it because you're doing something good? John chapter 15. Listen, God's discipline is, is, is love when we're not doing something good. God's pruning is his love and testing to get us stronger when we're doing something good. Oh, boy, that is a good word. RCC, are you in the house today? Verse 2 in the ESV. Let's read it. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, does not bear fruit, he takes away. Okay, that's very clear. But every branch that does bear fruit, uh uh-oh, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. (laughs) Somebody lift up your hands to the Lord. Somebody give praise God. Every branch that bears fruit. You would think, hey, leave that guy alone. He's bearing fruit. He goes, oh, this is, he's almost there where I want him. He's almost to the place where I can now trust him or her with great authority. So let me prune them because, listen, what we used to get help them, that was necessary. But now they have to, I have to let go of some things. Maybe the TV show that you were watching was not necessarily evil, but maybe he's calling you to a higher level. And maybe he's saying, look, in this season, I need you to consecrate yourself a little bit more. Maybe, maybe. Maybe the, the, maybe the things that you were saying were not necessarily sin, but they were kind of uh, on, the, on, the, on the border of sin. But you were saying it, and it was a joke. But God's like, I don't want that anymore. I want this from you. And so he prunes, and it hurts. It hurts. But he does it to bear more fruit. So I have good news for you. If you're in a pruning season, it's because God says you already have fruit, and he wants to produce more fruit. Oh, man. Isn't God good? Another way that the Lord is a good shepherd is when David is describing the shadow of death. Because 
he says, the Lord is a good shepherd. Then he says in verse 4, even though, which is temporary, I walk through the valley. The valley is a time of testing. Please hear me now. You cannot shortcut the time of testing. Because it produces not only strength for you to, to, to do something in leadership, but strength for your own walk with God. It gives you that strength. But the reason now, the third reason why he, David calls him a good shepherd, because he talked about the shadow of death. He doesn't talk about the actual death. He didn't say, even though I walk through death, I, got, I died and, no, and then God raised me up. He said, it's a shadow. Because, because a shadow is dark. Can anybody know that? Like right now, if you follow my shadow, it's, it's, there's a level of darkness in it. But there's a difference between darkness and shadow. Because darkness, put that up there, is the absence of light. But a shadow is the evidence that there is light. Do you hear what I said? There's a difference between you being in a dark place and saying there is no hope. If I turn all of the lights here and we were in complete darkness, you will not be able to see my shadow. Because shadows cannot live in darkness. The shadow only appears when there's light right nearby the vicinity of that person. So that even though produces a shadow, he's saying he's a good shepherd because it's not the darkness that I feel that is actually feeling like darkness. There's light nearby at the end of the tunnel. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to release my son. I'm going to go through this valley. There's light at the end of the tunnel. And God will never give you more than what you could handle. That's why it's a shadow and it's not darkness. It is just a shadow. It's a shadow. It's a shadow. Your dark season is not just filled with demons. It's a shadow. That means there's light nearby. Jesus doesn't have light. He is light. He is the light of the world. And he will never, ever give us more than what we could handle. It may be dark right now, but it's only a shadow. Look at 1 Corinthians 10. I want the worship team to start coming up here. Glory to God. Everybody say it's just a shadow. That means there's, in my shadow season, say that with me. In my shadow season, I see darkness. But it's not all darkness. There's evidence of light. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow. It wasn't death. It was felt like death. But he didn't die. <laughs> Some of you feel like this, this is killing me. These trials are killing me. It ain't going to kill you. It's going to help you. Thank God for the rain. Thank God for the trials. Look at what God says. Look at it. Listen, listen, zoom in to me. Why is he a good God? Why is he a good shepherd? Because he allows you to be tested and even allows the temptations of the devil to sometimes get near you because even in that, there's a way out. Everybody say, God will never give me more than I could handle through the Holy Spirit. Because in Christ, we could do all things. Now, look at what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians. Are you getting something this morning? Everybody read this with me. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. 
Oh, Lord, he will not allow you or let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, watch this, he will also, in addition, provide a way out so that you could endure it. That means no temptation that you and I ever face is without the ability to escape it. And, I, and if you have fallen into temptation, this is not to shame you. What I'm saying is you can get back up and you can overcome this. When you allow the Holy Spirit to realize and tell you that in your valley season, he's trying to get you disciplined and strong so that when you do face temptation, he'll provide you a way out and you can escape and say no. But maybe in this season over here, you're too weak to say no. But now, through trials, see, you have to understand, get it? Trials are not the side avenue for maturity. They're the main avenue for maturity. Other than the word of God, they're the main avenue. Again, trials, God's discipline and pruning are the, are the divine gymnasium of weightlifting for the Christian. Again, you can't pray. You just can't pray in the natural muscles. In the spirit realm, in your walk with God, there's things that you have to go through in order for you to get stronger. Preach, Pastor George. I'm trying. Come on. Now, this is the last thing. And this, is, this hit me so hard, guys, this last thing. Verse 4, at the end of verse 4. So he says, even though, which is temporary. Say temporary. I walk through the valley, which is a necessary time of testing so we can get strong. Of the shadow, which means even though it's dark, there's light around the corner. Please hear me. If you don't hear anything in this sermon, I want you to hear this. He says, I will fear no evil. Watch this. For you are with me. I'm going to wrap this up in about five to seven minutes because this is so powerful. Please listen to me. Why was David so confident in saying, I'm not going to fear any evil. Was it just because um, just because he knew that it was a shadow or knew that it was the valley season of testing? No. Because watch this. He knew his identity of who he was in God and he knew his identity of how much God loved him. When you and I know our godly identity of how we view God and how God views us, we will have confidence, boldness, and we will fear no evil. Watch this. Listen to me. Watch this. Listen to me. This is key. This is key. He says, I will fear no evil because, watch this, he was confident in his identity that no matter what season and erraticness that David had, that you are with me. Listen to me. This is deep. This is deep. You are with me because not just near me because you could be near someone and not be with someone. Oh, I'm going to preach here. You could be near someone and not be with them. You could be sitting next to someone right now and not be with that person. Just because you're near to someone or near the vicinity of someone doesn't mean that they're with you. But David didn't say, hey, I think you're around in the vicinity. That's why I'm not fearing any evil. He knew his identity and said, hey, I'm not going to fear any evil because I know that no matter what erratic state I am in my life, that you're not going to leave me, that you are with me. No matter what my rebellion is, you're going to chase after me. You're going to woo me. You're going to come after me. I know that I've messed up, but I know that you're with me. God is with you. He's not just near you. He's with you. He, he's not just around you. He's in you. He's with you. He's with you in your storm. He's with you in your trial. He's with you in your hard season. He's not just near you. He's with you. 
I will fear no evil for you are with me. You're not just near me. You're for me. You're with me. You're chasing after me. In my rebellious state, you, you, you haven't let me go. You haven't forsaken me. Very last things that Jesus said before he went into heaven, after he was crucified and resurrected and holes were in his, in his wrist and his feet, before he got up and raised up in that cloud, the very last thing he said that was a remembrance of all time to the disciples, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Watch this revelation. Why did he say, I will fear no evil? Because he knew how greatly he was loved by God. And he knew his identity. You say, how did he know that? Because when he was a teenager, the prophet Samuel came. And he said, hey, Saul, you are rejected from being king because you disobeyed. But the Lord is telling me that he has raised up someone after his own heart. In other words, the title of, the, of knowing that how much God loves David. Don't you think David knew that title about him? Something powerful happens when you know your identity and how much you are loved by God, even when you fail. Something powerful happens when you know that you're loved by God. Don't you think God knew that David was going to fall into adultery and fall into murder and yet still called him the man who's after my own heart? Contrary to popular belief, the opposite of fear is not boldness. It's perfect love. Because the Bible does not say perfect boldness casts out fear. It says perfect love casts out fear. For fear involves torment. So if you are struggling with fear, that means you have a deficiency in your revelation of how much God loves you. You have a deficiency of God's love for you if, if the revelation of how much God is ravished about you if you have a fear problem consistently. Because some of us, we're praying for boldness and God is saying, no, boldness will be a natural product when you get a revelation of how much I love you. How much Perfect love casts out fear and it will produce boldness. Just ask John the Beloved. John the Beloved knew his identity, how much he was loved by God, by Jesus. And he, and he put his, 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 feet, his face on his, Jesus' chest. And, and 90 years later when he's writing the Gospel of John in the Isle of Patmos, and he's writing all these Gospels, he talks about himself five times with this title, I am and the disciple that Jesus loved. He knew his identity so strong that even though through his erratic ways, he said, I am the one that Jesus loves. But Jesus loves everybody, I know. But I'm going to write forever that the one who Jesus loves is talking about me. Something powerful in your confidence happens when you know that you deeply love God by God. And that's why David said, though I walk through the valley, you are with me. I will fear no evil. Look at this and I'm closing. First John, first John, real quick, chapter four, I feel the Holy Spirit quickly. First John chapter four, verse 17. Put it up there. Look at, read this with me. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have what? Boldness in the day of judgment. So boldness is a byproduct of love. Because he is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love. Come on. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. For he who fears 
has not been made perfect. I didn't say that. In love. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. I want everyone to realize that today is a day that you are about to come out of your valley season with great clarity. You're going to have a a clarity of your valley season like you've never had before. You're going to say, wait a minute, I'm trying to rush this thing. But what God is trying to do is perfect you, stabilize you, heal you so that he can release perfect love in you. So that no matter what you go through, at the end of the valley season, you can lift up your head and say, God is with me. I will fear no evil. God is with me in the valley season. He's with me in the dark season. He's with me in the good season. Come on, I want everyone to stand up to your feet. Yay, though I walk through the valley. It's temporary. Come on, it's temporary. And he's producing, listen, he's allowing discipline. He's allowing trials. He's allowing pruning to come into your life. For what reason? So that you can look like him. So that you can trust him. So that you can look like Jesus. Everybody say, he's a good God. Come on. He's a good shepherd. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.